Really excited to have Greg Gilbert join us today to talk about the storyline of the Bible. Thanks for joining us, Greg. Yeah, glad to be here, man. It's 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 really fun to talk to you about these things. They're important, so uh, good to talk about. Uh, thank you, Greg. Before we get stuck into the questions about your new book, feel free to introduce yourself. Thanks. Yeah, my name's Greg, uh, Greg Gilbert. I'm uh, uh, the pastor of Third Avenue Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're for your uh, listeners in the in the UK, Kentucky's kind of in this in the center of the, the country, um, a little bit uh, west of Washington, D.C., kind of kind of north of Nashville, south of Chicago. So uh, Louisville's a city of if you take everything, uh, the, the whole metro area, it's about a million people. Third uh, Avenue Baptist is uh, a little bit south of the downtown area, but right on the campus, pretty much of the University of Louisville, uh, which is a huge uh, research university here here in the city. Big sports university, one of the one of the best sports universities in the country. Uh, married for twenty years to Mariah, and we got three. Well, kid, two of them are still kids. One is in college at, at uh, <laughs> Western Kentucky University, so I don't know if he's a kid anymore. Uh, but the other two, I have a junior uh, in high school uh, and then um, a seventh grader, Juliet. So, yeah. Uh, excellent. So do we have you guys to um, thank for KFC? You do. Colonel. Yes, exactly. Colonel Sanders. Yeah. Yeah. We even have an honorific in Kentucky. Uh, uh, it's, it's almost a knighthood called if you're a Kentucky colonel. That means you've done something really important. So it's 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 almost it's almost British in its uh, <laughs> in the way it works. Greg, I'm what's one thing about? I'm not one of those. I'm not a Kentucky Colonel. I was going to say, well, you no. you you're, you're a prolific author now, so you must be edging your way to oh, towards getting one of these, right? Uh, they don't care about that. They're not worried about that. <laughs> what's one thing that you can tell us about yourself that would surprise anyone listening? Surprise people. Ah, uh, I don't know. Five, uh, five years ago, I did a two-week trek to the base camp of Mount Everest, and that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was incredible, uh, and uh, I'd recommend it to anybody who loves mountains and the outdoors. It was an amazing trip. Excellent. Well, that, that will surprise many people, Greg. That's, that's very good. You've written this book following on from your study Bible, which has been really helpful. And it's the Bible that we use for our family um, devotions of an evening. Who is this new book designed for, Greg? Yeah, the new book is uh, the epic story of the Bible. And uh, it's not it's not pitched at a high academic level. You can find books that are biblical theologies pitched at a very high level. This is this is not that at all. Um, so, uh, I, I think teenagers could use this book. I think, uh, Christians who have been Christians for a long time could use it. I think, um, new Christians could use it. It's, it's basically for anybody who just wants to understand the Bible in its totality. So it's, it's not like taking a little chunk. Let's understand Habakkuk. Let's understand Isaiah. Let's understand this or that. Uh, it's, it's what is the Bible doing as a whole in its full storyline? Yeah, yeah. So where did the Bible come from? Who decided which books and stories to include in it? And how do we know that we got the right ones? Yeah, it's a good question. You remember a few years ago, there was a book, uh, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown, and it kind of took the world by storm. It, it wasn't the writing that did that. It, it was it was the fact that Dan Brown told a story about the beginning of the Bible and ultimately about Jesus, that for whatever reason, even though he said this is all fiction at the beginning of the book, yeah. Like the world just decided, no, this is how it works. And the story he told was that 
325 AD, 325, the Emperor Constantine called a bunch of evil bishops together at a resort town, and they all had a table full of these various documents about the life of Jesus, and they all got together and decided which books were going to go into the Bible. They closed the canon, and they burned all the rest of them. That's basically the story Dan Brown told. It was nothing like that. Uh, the, the, way it, the way the Bible came together uh, was that in, in the Old Testament, the Jews just knew which of their, which of their books were written by Moses, written by the prophets, which were, uh, you know, uh, summaries of prophets teachings sometimes or various ways of doing it. But they knew which books were, were the prophetic books that, as they put it, would defile the hands if you touched them. New Testament was basically that uh, the early Christians decided that they were going to declare and, and understand those books to be authoritative, which were written by an apostle or somebody who was really close to an apostle. Books that were old, so you couldn't just, you know, 200 years later, pop up, write a new book and say, hey, I think mine mine deserves to be in. So which, which for example, would be why, you know, Joseph Smith's Book of Mormon doesn't make it because it's not old. It was it was written in 1850, whatever. Right. So you don't get in if you're not super old. Uh, third thing that they said was that it had to be uh, uh, universal. In other words, widely used. So you couldn't have a sect of, uh, uh, you know, some weird group of Christians out in the desert who pop up and say, hey, we've had our book for 100 years and we need to include it in the canon. The early church would say, no, it's got to be a book that circulated widely and was used widely. Um, and then uh, 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 fourth would have just been orthodoxy. In other words, it has to line up with what we already know to be true about Jesus from oral tradition, from the teaching of the apostles, from everything else. So they basically had a really good set of criteria by which they would defend the, the set of books that they knew to be authoritative because it had been handed down to them by the apostles. Yeah. And we've also got a sovereign God that led this whole process as well, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and Jesus told his disciples that, you know, I'm I'm going to he sets up in John 10, this chain of authority, right? That that which belongs to the father has been given to me and that which has been given to me, I'm going to give it to you so that you can give it to others. So that's why the early Christians had this idea in their heads yeah. that these yeah. apostles are the ones who can to, who can write the, the books that we're going to take to be authoritative. Yeah, yeah. If you only had a couple of minutes to summarize what the story of the Bible was, how would you do that? Oh, how would I do that in two minutes? Um, I would probably say that, uh, you know, in, in, in the very beginning of everything, God created the world and human beings. Uh, to live to live under his uh, uh, authority and in worship of him. And that was what was best for humans from the very beginning. Uh, humans rebelled against him, though, and decided they didn't they didn't want to be under his authority. And so they uh, they rebelled against him. Sin basically declared war uh, against him and independence from him, uh, which plunged the world into uh, catastrophe. Uh, from there, God launched a basically a rescue mission in, in his mercy. He didn't have to do it, but he did. Uh, promised that a king would come who would set everything right. Uh, and then most of the story of the Bible is, is the story of uh, the looking out for that king. And so you see those promises sort of narrowing in at various points. So, you know, out of all the nations of the world, one nation Israel is chosen. Out of all the Israelites, uh, one man is sort of is sort of chosen the king. We know that the Messiah is going to be the king of the the nation. 
Um, that nation fails to to carry out its uh, its obligations before God uh, to be the kind of you know bearer of the Messiah, bearer of the name of God. Uh, they're sent into exile. God has mercy on them again, brings them back from exile. We're still waiting on the king to come. And then, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, when when the New Testament opens, there's the king and and it's it's Jesus. And so then there's a, a slow unfolding of, of who Jesus is and what it's going to mean for him to be king. Uh, and, and what happens is that all of these themes that have been building like an orchestra through the Old Testament come to rest on Jesus, right? So there are themes, for example, like, the, the job of the king is to suffer in the place of the people so that the people can be saved, right? That's one of the themes that, yeah. that shows up through the Old Testament. And that comes to comes to rest on the head of Jesus. Uh and, and he does that in in the most spectacular way, right? Dying for dying for his people so that they don't they don't have to die. Uh Jesus ascends to heaven and uh uh then begins the great mission of the church, which is to to take the word of Christ to the to the world. Um and it all ends in this you know, stunning crescendo at the end where Jesus returns, saves his people, uh, and God recreates the, the heavens and the earth so that sin will never be a, a, a part of it again. And uh, yeah, uh, we enter into the new heavens and new earth. Yeah. What do we miss when we don't see the Bible as one sweeping narrative? Oh, my goodness. Uh, you miss you miss the, the you just miss the glory of what God has done in saving humanity. I mean, it's, it's almost like this, you know, if I'm, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan. I talk about this a lot in the, in the book, in fact, and, and it's not just Lord of the Rings. I'm a big Epic story fan. Anything that, anything that builds a world, I love it. Anything that tells a a story, you know, from start to finish, I love those kinds of stories. Um, But imagine, for example, that you're, you know, pick out whatever Epic story you want. Let's take Lord of the Rings. And and let's say you decide to read Lord of the Rings like most of us try to read the Bible. And you just open it up to any random spot and you yeah. read a few lines of it and you ask the question, okay, so there's this battle at this place called Helm's Deep. I don't know a whole lot about that. I don't know how they got there. I don't know where they're going. But how does the battle of Helm's Deep help me to be a better person today? You're going to miss the entire point of that story, which is to sweep you up in it and almost help you lose yourself in a story that's bigger than you. That's that's not ultimately about you. Yeah, right, uh, right. It is about something. It is about someone else's glory, not just your Tuesday. Uh, and, and you're going to miss the glory of that. Same thing is true of the Bible. We get swept up in a huge story of God's work in the world. And yet we want to turn it into just reading three you know three three little lines about oh oh so uh here's abraham being asked by god to sacrifice his son on the top of a mountain how does this help me be a better person today and it's just not the point the point is to is to be building these themes that are gonna gonna come down like a waterfall on jesus's head and if you if you can see the bible if you understand the bible in that way uh, man, the whole thing just goes glorious 3D. Uh, when, yeah. When Jesus. Yeah. It's so important, isn't it? Because we live in this age where lots of people do struggle with taking scripture out of context. And they forget to study the context of where a particular passage has been pulled from, like you were just saying. So what's some important rules to help us not do that, Greg? 
Yeah, well, there. I mean, there are rules. I mean, the the, the most important one is that you you. It, it's really not that helpful to spot read the Bible. Uh, you yeah. know, it's it's just not that helpful. I mean, it, it's funny. There is there's sort of one book in the Bible that is kind of meant to be spot read, and even it is questionable that that's how it's supposed to be read. And that's that's the book of Proverbs, right? It's just like it's just like sand that's been poured into a a jar, right? And you can basically dive into any of the 20 middle chapters of it at least and you can read two or three sentences of it and you'll you'll get something out of it but people for some reason think the entire bible is written like the book of proverbs and it's just not the other books have a story they have a structure uh they're doing something they're arguing for something and so if you just go to your if you just go to your favorite verse uh and and pull it out you're going to miss the entire structure and feel and, and weight of that book. So I think the most important thing to, to do is to read books of the Bible from start to finish. Uh, yeah. And it's even best to read them in an order that's going to, that's going to pull you into uh, the storyline of the Bible. So you said you're using uh, the story of redemption Bible with your family. I love that. It's awesome. Um, and that's what that book tries to do, right? So it, it tries to put you it tries to help you read the Bible, but to read the various 66 books of the Bible in an order that's going to take you through the narrative. And I just think that's incredibly helpful. You know, yeah. so for example, so for example, what it does, in, instead of having you read, uh, say, all 13 of Paul's letters in the kind of weird order that they appear in, in the New Testament, you know, they're, they're just, Paul's letters are just organized by size. It's just the yeah. longest one, and then the next longest one, and it's companion, and then the next longest, the next longest, the next longest that's how it's ordered. It's very weird. Um, but what the story of redemption Bible does is that it takes you into acts and you start reading acts. And then when you get to the point in that story where Paul is actually writing, say first Thessalonians, at least as far as we know, you go to first Thessalonians and read it. And then you come back to the narrative of acts and read on until he writes, you know, Ephesians or whatever it is. So it, for me, what that does is that it throws those letters into, into, to high relief because you understand why he's writing the letter at that point, because you know where he is in his in his life, in his missionary journey. Yeah. Uh, it, it all just turns into a, a really kind of cinematic experience instead of just this, you know, spot check kind of thing that we that we typically yeah. do. Yeah. And it's so important, isn't it? When we when we read scripture in the Western world, we can also end up reading it through this modern lens that can distort the message from its original meaning. Tell us about that, Greg, and how can we avoid doing that as well? Yeah, yeah, I think I I think what's important is I I mean obviously the the Bible is written for our knowledge and instruction. It's it's written for our sanctification, for our holiness, for our disciple uh uh discipleship after Christ. It 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 that is though the sort of that that is the stuff on the top of the mountain though. And yeah. if if you go to the Bible and just flop it open and your first question uh and only question of the Bible is what can you do for me? You've, yeah. you've missed the point. What you want to do is come to the Bible in, in all of its glory, with all its themes, with all of its, you know, symphonic movements and cinematic glory and understand it on its own terms, like get swept up in the story. And then you can make the turn to say, oh, my goodness, this is not fiction like Lord of the Rings. This is real. And it turns out I'm a character in it. Uh, that's that's the the best way to to understand it. But 
Yeah, you don't want to you don't want to just come to the Bible with with all of your you know come to it on its own terms. Let it tell yeah. its story instead yeah. of insisting that it tell a story that you want to hear on this particular Tuesday. Yeah, we know that the Bible is infallible and trustworthy. Why must we accept the whole Bible and not just cherry pick the bits that we like? Well, just because of what you said, the whole thing is is breathed out by God. It's it's infallible. It's inerrant. It's trustworthy in all of its its parts. Uh, it's true in in every particular um and uh it's it's a it's just an extraordinary book i mean you've got like what 35 authors i think 35 authors 66 books written over 1500 years and it is as wonderfully coherent as the most epic story that you can imagine that was written by a single author and the reason is because the bible was ultimately written by a single author uh it's it's richer than any single author book because it has 35 voices in harmony. Um, but if you if you break it up into bits uh, and just read your favorite parts, man, I mean, it's like, you know, I mean, I mentioned that I mentioned that trek to Mount Everest. I mean, what it would be like just picking up one single pebble f- from from that trek and just staring at it the entire two weeks while you're walking up to Everest instead of lifting up your eyes to see the whole yeah, you know, the glory of the thing. Yeah. It's it, yeah. once you see it, yeah. it's almost unthinkable that you would cherry pick the Bible uh, in, in that way. Yeah. You mentioned that the, the Bible is a collection of 66 different books and they're not all the same style either, are they? We've got history, narrative, poetry, to name just a few. Why is it important that we understand what we are reading before we read it? Uh, yeah, you mean you mean kind of the genre, like the, I'm reading That's poetry, right. now, so I have to read that differently yeah. than narrative. Uh, because there are different ways of understanding. There, there are different things that those authors are doing, uh, and and if if we don't understand what they're doing, we're going to miss the point, you know. So so just just for example, uh, uh, take a take a parable of of Jesus, for example, the the prodigal son. I remember a discussion in a small group some years ago where uh, the whole discussion broke into this sort of speculation and yet it was sort of sort of trying to actually figure out what city in israel the boy went to and and it, it you can you can see the absurdity of that because it's a story like it's a it, there is no city that he went to jesus just said he went to a he went to a city and that's kind of the end of it there's nothing more to to probe there and, and what happened the reason we wasted all that time having that conversation was because people confused parable for history right now you can ask those kinds of questions about you know the events of abraham's life you can ask them about the events of moses and joshua's life you can't ask them about the events of the boy in the parable because he didn't exist right he, he was a story um so so that's one example you got to know the difference between parable and history uh uh poetry has its own its own rules right so you know when uh uh, when there's a, a poet, Isaiah, or one of the psalmists talks about God having wings, for instance, you just have to understand that that's poetry. It's giving you an image that has a meaning, but it does not actually mean that God is a chicken on the throne of the universe. He doesn't actually have wings. It's it's poetry. Um, apocalyptic is, is sort of the same way. I just finished reading, uh, uh, preaching Revelation. Uh, and there's a lot of symbolism in, in Revelation that you have to work through. And you have to understand how apocalyptic works. You know, so in the first chapter, for instance, in in one sentence, John sees uh, the risen, you know, ascended Jesus, and he's holding seven stars in his right hand. And then, like a verse or two or three later, 
that same right hand of Jesus that has got those stars in it reaches down and touches John's head, which which he'd have been you know burned to to a crisp. Uh, I mean, what happened? Did Jesus set the stars down? Did he? What what happened there? Those aren't the right questions because apocalyptic is trying to show you images of things, and and you have to understand that that's what's going on, and that's very different from narrative or history. Yeah. Yeah, that's really helpful, Greg. Thank you. When reading the Bible, how do we know what parts we can apply to ourselves and what were promises to a specific person at a specific time? Yeah, that's a that's that's a super great question. Um, basically, you have to understand where you are in, in the story and you have to understand uh, you have to ask the question, is is this a promise that's being made that, that has sort of come to full fruition and is being made to the whole people of God? Or is this a promise that is kind of in seed form and is going to be made to the to the church at large uh, in in time? Uh, so so you can't just go to a promise that's made, for example, to Abraham. You know, I'm going to give you this this great wide land and say, oh, Abraham is a believer. I'm a believer. God promised Abraham land, so he's also going to give me a farm at some point with a whole lot of acres. You know, you can't do that. That's not the that's not the that's not how that that promise is functioning. It's a seed that's gonna gonna grow and come to fruition ultimately in a promise of land yes to the believer but that that promise is is the new heavens and new earth so you just yeah. you, you just kind of have to have a you have to have a kind of literary and historical sensitivity to where we are in the story and what's going on and uh you know yeah. you'll see some of those promises in in the prophets and certainly the the, the new testament uh, blooming, so to speak, and and they all they all come to their to their full you know fruitedness when Jesus arrives, and and then you have to see yeah. what form those promises are taking in Him, uh, because yeah. because they're different sometimes. Yeah, how can it be, Greg, that two uh, born again, spirit filled believers can both read the same passage and yet understand and apply that in completely opposite ways? Uh, well, that, that's not going to happen in heaven, right? Because our, our minds and our understanding are going to be fully glorified. So we'll, we'll, you know, the veil will be taken away. We'll, we'll see uh, not dimly anymore, but, but with full sight. But for now, you know, we're all, we're all struggling along. We're all still, still living in a fallen world. Uh, we as Christians are in fact born again, but we're not perfect. And that means our minds and our understanding are, are not perfect. Uh, so, you know, we're learning, um, you know, I, so, so for example, though, as I was preaching, this is the second time in, I think eight years it's been since I've preached revelation. Uh, and I changed my mind on some things as I was, as I was preaching this time. So, you know, I, we're, we're all on the, we're all on the road of learning and understanding the Bible better. And so, you know, hopefully we're, as, as we go down that road, our, our minds are kind of coming together, uh, but different people are going to be on different, different paths and, and, and the Lord will set us all straight in the end. Yeah. And many of those things are, of course, secondary things. What are the key primary unnegotiable truths that are hills to die on for Christians, Greg? Oh, man. Uh, well, there's there's a lot, but it's not everything. You know, so the uh, uh, the uh, identi identity of, of Jesus, you know, um, so I'd, I'd probably start with the Nicene Creed. All those things are non-negotiable. Um, you know, the nature of, of God is as Trinity. Uh, Jesus is fully God and fully man. So then you're moving, moving on to sort of Chalcedon, uh, the Chalcedonian um, formula at that point. So all those things are non-negotiable, the identity of Christ, the identity of, of God and the nature of, of God himself as triune, uh, the content of the gospel. Um, so, you know, justification by 
uh, by faith alone, I think is, is non-negotiable, uh, and a hill to yeah. die on. Um, you know, so those are the highest mountains. And then around that, you've got, you've got a whole bunch of lower mountains, but I'd still probably die on them. Right. So <laughs> you mentioned the gospel, Greg, you, you've written one of the most helpful books, uh, and I've given so many of them away over the years. And what is the gospel? How would you summarize that, Greg? What, if somebody come up to you and said, what is the gospel? What would you say to them? Yeah, I mean, really quickly, I, I think that the New Testament, early early preachers and early writers organized their their presentation of the the uh, the content of the gospel around four main questions. This is what I what I write about in uh, in what is the gospel. So, first question they always answer, uh, sometimes implicitly in different words, etc. But the first question is always, to whom are we accountable? Uh, are we just self accountable, or are we accountable to some? authority outside of us and their answer is of course we're, we're accountable to god uh second is if, if that's true then then what's our problem and the answer that they give is sin our problem is that we've rebelled against god uh declared war on on him tried to take the uh the crown for ourselves and and therefore we deserve to die third question is what's the solution that god offers to that and of course that's uh that's that's the work of of jesus uh dying in our in our place for those of us who would who would trust in him uh, and then uh, 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 the the fourth one is what is our response to that? And yeah. it's it's faith in Jesus and repentance from sin. So that if we are united to Jesus by faith, because He rose again from the dead, we're going to rise again from the dead. So uh, you know, the resurrection is is not just a it's not just a kind of happy ending to the story. It, it, it is our it yeah. is our life, right? It's it's like Jesus said, yeah. we're we're branches united to His vine, uh, Him. And if the vine is still dead, then the branches united to it are also dead. The only reason yeah. we live is because he lives uh, as, yeah. as branches to a vine. Yeah. How should prayer fit together with our Bible reading? Oh, I mean, it's it, they're 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 hand in hand in hand, hand in glove. I mean, it's they're uh, they're not one in the same, but they're very much partners. So, uh, you know, we we speak to God in prayer. God speaks to us through uh, through His Word. Um, and so the, the Holy Spirit will draw our attention to things. He will illuminate us to understand the scriptures in, in new ways. Um, and, and it's it's really the breathing in, breathing out uh, of the Christian life, prayer and, and Bible reading. We speak to God. He yeah. speaks to us. Yeah. You mentioned that you've just been preaching through Revelation. A lot of the Bible deals with prophecy and much of that is still to come. What's a healthy posture towards studying eschatology, Greg? It, it seems that there are a couple of ditches to fall into with this, by either not thinking about Jesus' return at all or by consuming our every thought and looking at every news headline as another prophecy being fulfilled. Yeah, that's that's right. I, I mean, I think probably it's to put your mind on prophecy about as often as the Bible puts its mind on on eschatology right you put your mind on eschatology the same amount of time that the bible puts its mind on eschatology so when you're i mean think about and study what the bible is wanting you to think about and study right so to so start start reading it and you know if if you're in uh i don't know if you're if you're in some books of the bible your mind is not going to be much on the dragon and the woman in revelation and trying to figure out when that is there are other books of the Bible where your mind is very much going to go there, right? So end of Daniel. If you're doing a study through Daniel, you're going to spend a whole bunch of time thinking about Gog and Magog and Babylon and all, all, all you know, the ancient of days and the time of the shattering of the holy people. It's all very fascinating. And you've got several chapters where, where that's in the spotlight. Same thing at the end of Ezekiel. Uh, pre pretty much all the major prophets, actually, and some of the minor ones, 
But then there are long swaths of the Bible where that's in view because it's always in view, but it's not in the spotlight. And, and so you shouldn't try to wrestle every text of the Bible and every moment of your life into that into that spotlight yeah. uh, when, yeah. when the Bible's not putting it there. So in the yeah. in the regular diet of preaching at your church and your regular diet of Bible reading, you know, just let the Bible set the agenda, and and I think you'll have about the right amount. Yeah. If someone has never read the Bible before or never read it consistently, how and where would you tell them to start? Well, I mean, so if somebody's not a let's say somebody's not a Christian, I would say you just need to get introduced to to Jesus. So I would I would just go to one of the one of the four Gospels. I'd, I'd probably say start with. I mean, it just depends if you if you really if you want to have if you want to kind of see how uh, early Christians thought about Jesus in the context of the Old Testament. I think Matthew would probably be best uh, if you want fast paced action, just, you know, as much stuff about Jesus as possible in the shortest amount of time. That's going to be Mark because, uh, you know, <laughs> what is it like 40 different times he uses the word immediately? Yeah, uh, he's moving. <laughs> Mark is Mark is moving in his. Uh, he's trying to write the Cliff Notes version of of it. Um, but you, you need to get introduced to Jesus if if you're not a Christian. If you've been a Christian for a while, you know you know you know Jesus. You love Jesus. You just want to know. Maybe you want to set off on a a journey of reading the whole Bible. Honestly, I would probably say pick up this book that we're talking about, the Epic Story of the Bible. Read through that to kind of get your bearings. It, it works like you know the take take a, a trek to. Trek into the mountains, for instance, it, it works like the briefing meeting before you set off on that trek, you know, where you sit around in the restaurant and they show you the path that you're about to take and point out the big landmarks. This books works like that. Um, it's the briefing meeting before you set off on the on the trek. Then, uh, you know, if if you can still find it, the uh, the story of redemption Bible that you've mentioned, uh, the way that one works is that essentially I kind of go along with you. As you, you start out in Genesis and you start reading the whole Bible, but I'm kind of there at your side the whole time. It doesn't, it's not study notes exactly like a study Bible. It's literally me sort of, you know, breaking into the text every once in a while and saying things like, uh, remember this, this is really important, or this is confusing. Here's, here's kind of what's going on. Here's the main thread of the story. Or sometimes there are even a couple of places where I'll break in and say, listen, the next four chapters are going to be really hard reading. So you can maybe read them a little bit faster than you yeah, normally yeah. would. You know, look out for chapter 13, verse five, though, because that one's important. But other than that, I'll see you in chapter 17, you know, that sort of thing, um, which can be helpful in its own right. Because if you're if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, you, you can read big, long, you know, sections of it and think, I wonder if I'm missing something. And it's really yeah, right. it's really useful to have somebody come along and say, yeah, read these four chapters pretty quick. You're not going to miss that much. You know, that's just really kind of kind of confidence giving so uh that book's great it takes you through all all uh all 66 books of the bible kind of in narrative order so you spend it's like one of those old i don't know if you had them as a kid those old choose your own adventure books where you oh, yeah. yeah. make a choice and go to a different page well this one <laughs> yeah. does that it, it's just <laughs> that i am choosing your adventure for you instead of you getting to yeah. choose it for yourself Excellent. Well, we'll make sure that we've got links to uh, all of those books, including what is the gospel as well in the links below. Greg, thanks so much for your time. Um, really enjoy speaking to you. Do you have any closing thoughts before you go? No, just read the Bible, man. It is, it is, it is better than any of us understand. It is so, so deep and rich and beautiful. So, so read it and, and don't just spot read it. Try to understand the whole epic story. Excellent. And how can people keep in touch with you on social media? 
the only one I ever even really look at is Twitter. So I'm at Greg Gilbert, all stuck together uh, there. Um, or uh, church website is thirdavenue.org, all spelled out, thirdavenue.org, and you can get email addresses and such there. Excellent. We'll put the link into the into your Twitter, into the church uh, website address and the link below as well. Greg, thanks again for your time. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, it was fun, man. Thank you.